Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favourite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Welcome, welcome. This um, podcast I'm very excited about. Um, People I've been chatting to around the traps are quite excited about as well, so no pressure. Um, Today we have Madeline Avja um, from Jump Up For Kids. Um, She's an occupational therapist. She's one of the biggest advocates and um, one of the most passionate people I've been fortunate to come across in the sector. So I'm super excited. I know there's going to be plenty of takeaways today for our listeners. So um, welcome, Madeline. Thanks so much for coming. It's so awesome. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks for having me. No dramas. Um, so we'll start off. Nice, easy question. Um, tell us, tell our listeners your backstory and how you became to be the person that gets paid to play. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I have, I don't know when I wanted to be an occupational therapist, but for as long as I remember, I have. Um, and... For those of you who don't know what OT is, it's about helping people do what they want to do and what they need to do each day. And so when that's working with kids, a lot of kids want to be outside playing. Um, I've got, I've been working for close to 30 years now with children and increasingly we would see kids that haven't played an awful lot and weren't outside and um, weren't having just natural childhood experiences. And I guess when I say that, I think of my own childhood, which is um, we had a great neighbourhood where there was kids in every house. We'd be outside. We had the MCG, which was my brother's cricket ground, yep. Matthew's cricket ground. We had a hotel set up in cubbies out the back. We made mudslides in the backyard and got in trouble for it. Um, and more and more with the kids that I work with, but also in my own kids' lives, and I've got three boys, um, that wasn't happening um, and for a whole range of reasons. And so as part of our practice working with kids, we started looking at play and getting them outside. And so now we have this awesome opportunity and awesome outdoor space where we take kids out to play and it is the highlight of my working life. So, Playing it forward. Yeah, you're welcome for the pun there. So you would have seen a lot happen over the last 30 years compared to where you played as a child. Um, If you flash back to when you were a child, what was that number one standout experience for you? Having lots of kids around. I think just having neighbourhood kids, um, we went a fair way from home. You know, we'd be going to the creek, I don't know how far away it was, um, we'd be walking a couple of, like a suburb over to meet up with people and not many parents around unless we needed to be fed, I guess. Um, yeah. And that's when they came in handy. All the street lights came on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or not even then, yeah. you know, bedtime. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that's, we also had, my, I was lucky, my mum's brother had a um, farm out near Roma and so yeah. we'd go out there as kids. And whereas my initial memory of that is that we were sent out there as manual labour to haul rocks <laughs> and set up their garden, when I look back now, it, we also got to drive cars out in the paddocks, we were lighting bonfires, we were climbing trees and yep. doing all this amazing sort of 
stuff. Um, and over the last 30 years, I would say 30 years ago working, kids were still doing that to some degree. Yeah. Um, and increasingly, we didn't see that. Um, so we'd see kids, if they were outside, they'd be limited to their own backyard and not yeah. being able to walk around and things like that to different places and to neighbours. And increasingly, the kids that were outside didn't have anyone to play with because other kids weren't there with them. Um, and so then they tended to come in. And then in 2008, we saw iPads and iPhones yeah. released. And um, and I think with that touchscreen technology, more devices in homes, um, streaming of a lot of television, not just the choice of four stations, yeah. which was sometimes pretty limited. Um, you well, know, kids have got... Shows, so, yeah, and none of, of them were shows. great. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, no yeah, and so you'd watch a bit of that, but you'd, then you'd be outdoors and now it's just endless. And so we're competing now um, with companies that have got big budgets, big marketing, and we're losing in many respects yeah. and our kids aren't out there the anymore. Sticks, sticks, sticks and rocks don't have a budget, no. unfortunately. Um, but it's the people like you that have, have that experience for so long Um that are having the benefit to our community. So I've got to thank you for that. I'm always grateful of anyone doing that. Um, what have you seen the major, um, let's say, physical um, attributes of children over the years? What way has that been going? I'd say, so initially when I started work, I work with children with learning disabilities and I've always worked in schools. So we would see children who had difficulties with fine motor skill development yep. or uh, they were finding handwriting difficulty or yep. shoelaces and getting dressed and things like that. And increasingly over time, the nature of our referrals has changed. So we're seeing a lot more kids with difficulties self-regulating. So yep. they can't change their energy levels and their emotions to suit the demands of what they have to do. Um, and that makes it really hard for them to manage in a classroom and, you know, just getting through morning routines and things like that. Um, and also just the actual physicality of kids. So their ability, their endurance and um, they fatigue more quickly and their ability to even just sit up. And I, uh, whenever I say that, I sound, I feel like I sound really stupid, but oh. I have literally seen children sitting on a chair and they fall off yep. because they don't actually have any sense of where their body is in space um, and they don't have the muscle tone and coordination to maintain that over time. Um, and more and more and more we hear teachers saying that they have kids coming into the school system who are less ready to learn um, and it's around the fact that they haven't moved and so without movement or they haven't moved enough um, and without that they really can't develop the, um, the awareness of their body, the balance skills, yep. those really foundational sensory processing skills that they need then to learn you know the, the higher order skills of communicating and attending yep. and focusing and organization yeah i like to try to portray that in when i'm working with educators as um activating the physiology for the psychology like let's turn the switches on first yep. and then let the machine run yeah and it's you so can't often, expect it to operate yep. without turning the switch on yep and so often we are pitching things to kids and expecting things of kids that are really high level skills, yeah. you know, yeah. without having giving them that foundation at the yeah. bottom of the pyramid. And as I see the trend happening more and more where we're giving them quite abstract ideas that aren't tangible. Um, and that goes across the field from um, personal space and rough and tumble play to even teaching about environment. Yep. Um, but 
for parents, what's your view on what has created that? What has been these actions to create this deficit and turning on the switches? The main ones. There's some big <laughs> ones. Um, it, 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 I feel a lot of it comes back to movement, so restriction on movement and restriction on environments. Um, and so more and more and more our kids are in structured environments. They're, it's adult-led stuff. It tends to be indoors. You know, we, if it's hot outside, we keep them inside because it's air-conditioned, you know, yeah. so we don't have that variability in our world anymore. Um, and when we're taking our kids to all of these things, then they're again sedentary and sitting in cars. And so we just are not using our movement, our bodies, in the ways that they're designed to yeah. do and the ways that they actually need to. And we can't develop, our kids cannot physically develop without the opportunity to move Um and, you know, there's this sort of perception, and particularly with holidays coming up yeah. now, parents will say, oh, but they've been outside for the morning so they can have a quiet morning, or quiet afternoon yeah. inside and they can watch a movie. And it's like, no, 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 kids are designed to be outside and moving pretty All much now. nonstop, yeah. you know, and that's it feeds yeah. into a whole lot of stuff. And then it's you've got to ask yourself the question, who's, that, who's the rest for? Yeah, <laughs> it's easy, yep, yep, yeah. it's easy to have kids and inside parent, and watching like, screen. I've done that, I'm like... I'll put my hand up. Every parent has done it, I think, at certain some stage. Because also, we've got to consider our own mental well-being. Yeah. Be like, if I keep going with this and just a day I'm having, this could be very detrimental to my well-being and my interaction. Yep. So let's both have a break. Um, but the problem is that break away from each other has actually performed through that outdoor free play. You don't need to be there with them. You don't need to be coaching them through playing. So instead of using that outdoor play as a break because you're seagulling as yep. a parent, we're actually using the TV as that separation now. Yep. And that's, I think, you know, there's a lot of pressure on parents in terms of what's expected of them, what we should be doing with our kids, people watching and judging. You know, one of my boys rides five kilometres home from school in the afternoon and he's 11. Yeah. And I've had two people this year say to my face that one, it's illegal that he does that and two, that, you know, have I really considered the safety aspects and I think, you know, we... What's your reply? <laughs> deep breaths. Um, <laughs> you know, we worked with him all last Christmas holidays. We'd go riding. We figured out the route that he had to yeah. go, you know, what the safety things were, if he got a punctured tyre. We figured all of that out. He's fine. Yeah. And, you know, and he's a, he comes home. If I pick him up from school and he's in the car, he's cranky, he won't talk, he's grumpy, you know, for a good half an hour. Yeah. He rides home from school, he gets home, he's happy, he tells me about his day, he's engaged, he's ready yeah. to play, he's sort of reinvigorated. Yeah. So Activate the switch. Yeah, it's, um, you know, but if we can say to our parents that our kids are okay, that we're actually benefiting them. And I think it, if I talk to parents and you sell those benefits of yep. why they should be outside and why they should be away from them, um, yeah. then they, they're less scared that they're going to be judged yep. and that they're doing Do you the think it's thing. just a matter of misinformation or because par all parents innately want what's best for their children? And I firmly believe that. Um, uh, there is those exceptions, <laughs> of course. Um, we can't base all our habits on the anomaly, though. Um, but for those parents that are got their absolute best interests at heart, do you think it's a matter of misinformation or is it a matter of priorities? Or I'm just trying to ask that question so parents can kind of reflect for themselves. Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree with you. I think most parents, the absolute majority, 
only ever are working in their kids' best interests. I think, again, it comes down to the media. And so we hear more bad news and that's what makes good news. So we hear the bad stuff and so that's in our head. And the actual reality when you look at statistics is that kids aren't being harmed more and there's not more danger out there. But that's what we perceive because we hear it all the time. So, of course, as parents, our natural instinct is to protect. Um, And then we've got media in terms of the consumer side of things. You know, the good stuff, we're told the good stuff to buy kids is devices, you know, and plastic toys and the, you know, the consumer market. Um, And so I I do think, again, it comes down to marketing and media and that, you know, as you said, sticks and stones aren't, you know, big ticket items when it comes to the news. Yeah, yeah. Sponsor for nature. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone out there listening? Feel free to sponsor nature. Um, another one is the that change over time when you're seeing the, let's say, that change in priority of resources. Have you seen that as a big movement as well? Prioritising the stuff over just the being time? For sure, yep. And I think there is such a heavy push on education and seeing our kids as a product that we are developing for economic value in their later life that we feel like we're producing these kids rather than just letting them become their own people Um, and the value of that the value of time connection space and just being a bit bored has been lost in our world today and those things are the things that actually allow for the healthy development good mental health and really productive happy adults opportunity to fail yeah yep Yep. We're like, nerf the world, nerf the corners of benches, nerf your outings, nerf your bike. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, why can't you function in the world as a teenager? So, but going back to what you're talking about, the, the drop in fine motor skills, um, what is the precursor to having bad motor skills? What produces bad fine motor skills? Or let's not say bad because it's a bit negative. Skills that don't let them (laughs) do what they want to do during the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, there's a range of reasons and there are actually a number of medical conditions that result in fine motor skills. But if we've got typically developing kids that don't have the skills and that sort of accuracy, manipulation skills, strength, endurance, it is usually because they haven't done enough fine motor activities. Um, And often... We'll see kids that are giving it a go, yeah. but the product's not good enough. And so the adults will step in and take over and show them what Still to do the and glory. how to do it and all of that. And so that whole exploration process, and as you're saying that, give it a go, make a mistake, figure out what went wrong mm. and tr- try it a different way next time yeah. is all lost for our kids. And what I'm seeing now is also um, tied into that emotional resilience. So give it a go and practice those fine motor skills. I think if you're not an expert straight away, it can be dismissed. Are you seeing a higher trend in that as well? Absolutely, yep. And I think more and more because adults stepping in, because we've got expectations of what's okay for kids and what they should be doing, that we don't give them the opportunity to develop those skills. So we're hearing in PrEP, like as young as PrEP, you must be self-managed individuals. These are four and five-year-old kids and they haven't had the opportunity yeah. to experience and develop and yeah. Yeah. And also this is for my benefit because I've got children. Um, what's the best strategy you find or the advice you would give parents that are challenged with that child that 
is trying to engage and be challenged in these skills but not always having that emotional resilience to work hard and get through it, you know, and kind of giving up a bit early. Yep. I, I think it's important to follow follow kids' leads and find their passion and their interest. And so I have a million ideas to, in terms of developing fine motor or developing resilience or gross motor or whatever. But if it doesn't have meaning to the kids, then they're not going to engage in that activity and they're not going to stick with it when it gets hard. So if you – and that's where unstructured play is so incredibly valuable because they take the lead and they'll follow yep. things that are their interests – None of us stick with things that are really, really tricky. But if yeah. we want to do them and we want to learn them and we've got that intrinsic motivation, yeah. then we'll keep going. Yeah. So find something that your kids are passionate about and, awesome. um, and let them run with that. Yeah, such good advice. And we hear that theming time and time again from Hayano and other guests we've had on comes back to that intrinsic motivation. And it's kind of um, inviting parents to sit in that zone of it's not about you. Yeah, and it's a tricky one as a parent because yeah, we do have hopes and dreams for our kids. But, um, yeah, I find more often than not, and this is, um, you know, watching kids in a therapy setting, in an outdoor play setting, wherever they are, the kids are okay. They know what to do. If we leave them be and give them a reasonable environment and some time, they'll figure things out. They yep. know how to play and they'll extend their skills naturally. Um, particularly if we're, they're with other kids and particularly if those kids are of a variety of ages. Yep. Um, but it's when adults get nervous or there's um, worries about lawsuits or um, whatever it is. Yeah, we stop it. We stop kids in their tracks and that's where the issue is. Yeah. Do you think, like my observation is that um, there wasn't as this big be careful fear thing. It's just because the parents weren't watching. It was always there though. Yeah, yeah. Do you think yeah. that's the case? Yeah, and I, I don't know whether – I mean, we're all busy. We're busier than we've ever been before, but we've got a lot of convenient stuff as well. You yeah. know, we've got – you know, years gone by, women had to scrub washing. You know, like we've yeah. got stuff that happens quickly so we can cram more in and it gives parents time to – be very, very focused on their kids, that hypervigilant sort of focus. And, yeah, yeah it's if, um, you know, you're busy doing other things, then kids get up to kids' stuff and yeah. it's that's where the magic happens. Yep. Yeah. And then um, you hear it time and time again, oh, if I can't hear my kids, they must be doing something bad. When you're like, no, they're just being kids. They're obviously focused on doing something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know what? And when you, you find spaces for kids and they'll find spaces of their own, whether it's behind couches, they cover tables with sheets. Yep. We've got an old water tank in our backyard that yep. we've turned into a cubby. Um, and that's where they'll gravitate to. Kids yep. don't want to be in the constant eye of adults. Yeah. But there needs time. to be given the opportunity. Like it doesn't need to be a resource as such, but the opportunity for that diversity. So as we reflect on that's the outcome for fine motor skills and emotional um, just giving them the opportunity in that physical sense as well is the same or is there anything extra you have to do to develop that physical, more gross motor, if you will? I really think it's around the environment and the resources and the and the time, so yep. that opportunity for play. And when I say resources, it doesn't need to be stuff. It can be like stuff that you pay for, no, honestly. I have um, for the last five years encouraged loose parts play and yep. I haven't paid for a thing. Yep. Um, so there is... There's always stuff that businesses are wanting to get rid of. Yep. There's, you know, milk crates, pipes, um, ropes, whatever. But even around your own home, there's always going to be things. Yep. Um, and, you know, trees. 
like yep. a tree, something as simple as a tree is a loose part to a child yeah. because they will swing from the branches, they'll climb it, they'll pick the leaves and, you know, twist them. There's a whole range of things yep. without anything. Yeah. But in our world today, I think time um, and the actual outdoor environment, um, you know, the outdoors in terms of gross motor skills and that really physical nature of play has so much variability and so much flexibility for kids that, again, no matter what their skill development is, what level they're at, they can access it at whatever point they're able to. Um, and, you know, whether that's sliding down a hill or running down it or climbing a tree or just giving the tree a hug, you know. Yep. Like it's got this incredible um, engagement factor as well as accessibility and variability. And that means everyone can access it. Yeah, and that comes down to um, not feeling like you have to teach, you know, with these loose parts, like we've spoke about before, like recycled materials, things they can build with, is that they don't need to be taught how, they don't need to be dictated to. Yeah. The problem solving is the learning. And we get distracted as adults about this outcome, you know, I need to do this, I need to get this stuff done. And we're constantly on this um, result focus framing when I invite parents and educators out there to, it's about the process, not the outcome. Yeah. Oh. And I think that's where we actually lose the essence of what play actually is. When we, so often we'll talk about play and there's an agenda. So there is an outcome. It's for gross matter development or for this yeah. or for that. And if play is only play if a child thinks it is. And if we start putting those outcomes on top of it, yeah. we lose play. It becomes a playful activity yeah. um, or a, a play directed, you know, it's still adult directed. But if we just leave kids be, there's nothing that we need to do. And it's a really tricky balance. So we have... Um, we got a whole bunch of kids that come along to our programs, but we've recently started having OSH excursions yep. and they come and visit. And um, it's really interesting because, as I said before, the kids know exactly what to do. We've got this amazing outdoor space with hills and trees and grassy areas um, and we've got a trailer full of, some people would say crap, some people would yeah, you know, absolutely. but it's, um, it's loose parts and there's a whole range of stuff. The kids are in there, they're sliding down the hill they're, they're, and the, it's the adults who then have a, an issue with that, getting that balance right in terms of, yes, we need to be there, we've got a responsibility, you know, a duty of care, but how are we there and how do we engage with the kids? Um, and I think generally we just leave them be. It's an interesting dynamic though because often kids and particularly our kids in this day and age who are used to having adults around and telling them what to do will want that reinforcement from adults and so they'll approach you and say, oh, you know, I want to show you this or come have a look at that or da, da, da. And it, we've had some interesting experiences where people will say, oh, no, we've been told we can't do anything with you today. We can't, And, and that's not a natural interaction either. So if a child approaches you, of course you engage with them yeah. and you chat to them and you play with them. That's not changing the nature of their play. That's acknowledging the great stuff that they've done. Um, yep. So that's, I think, that fine line between managing and looking for a product and telling kids what to do as opposed to totally hands-off and feed them to the wolves kind of thing yep. Is a It's a tricky one for adults today, I think, because of all of the different um, pressures we've got on us. Yeah, and the protection effect, protection reflex. Um, so when it comes into um, to 
Jump Up for Kids and the programs you run. Um, you want to share with our listeners how that came about? So that came about, we've been running our outdoor, well, Jump Up for Kids as an OT service yep. has been running since 2012 and we've worked in schools and also clinics. And so that's probably a more traditional OT approach where we set goals and we work towards those goals and we do use playful activities so play is an occupation of childhood and that's where the occupational therapy bit comes in and then about five years ago due to that very nature of the changing scape of childhood you know the kids were less active they were indoors more we were getting referrals not so much for children with a diagnosis or a disability but neurotypical kids who were not coping with their day-to-day lives because of limited environmental experiences. And so this changing nature of the caseload really got us thinking about what on earth was going on. And that's where we... So it's moved from like diagnosis and these conditions being allocated to children or diagnosed? Yeah, well, kids with, you know, birth trauma or, um, you know, a syndrome or a chromosomal difficulty or, you know, a medical condition to kids that are... There is no reason why they shouldn't be able to cope with their day-to-day demands. No, yep. no medical reason, but it was environmental. So it yep. was around their experience and how limited that was and that was affecting their development. Yeah. And was it coming from like a certain demographic or areas or was it across the board? Across the board. Yeah. Everywhere. And so, yeah, and so we started looking at the factors that were impacting on that and one of the solutions that we came up with was getting kids outside and playing um and another contributing factor is my own boys so three boys and they were getting older and they were getting to that age where they were you know were riding to school or they were in high school and wanted phones and we all of a sudden had this increase of devices and I could see the impact on that on, on my own kids and we have you know, kind of worked really hard to have our kids outdoors. And so um, Jump Up Outdoors started then. Um, And it's been an interesting journey because we also started purely thinking the outdoor space was the it, it was the answer. Um, And we would program. And so we'd have sort of a um, a pirate day or this day and that day. And it was really interesting because we'd sit there and we'd spend hours writing out our program and what we would, the activities we'd offer and within about a month, we realised that actually it never ends up like that. Like the kids that arrive and we'd have all this stuff and the day was totally different. And so as our confidence grew and as we really started to hone our, um, our theoretical frameworks that we used as part of the program, we were able to step back as adults. And yep. so we now don't plan. We have our loose parts. We've got our environment. We do a lot of training around the role of adults in yep. um, in that space and we let the kids go for it. And so we run holiday programs where the kids are with us from eight till four. They're there all day. We've had one child who bring a device along and when I said to him, oh, mate, we're going to the creek, it's going to get wet, why don't I look after it? He gave it to me and never thought of it again. Yep. No one asks to go inside, no one asks for technology and they the feedback has been out of this world, yep. really, really awesome. And so... In the last year and a half or so, we've really started looking at how we can magnify that influence. Yep. And so we've started looking at things like having the OSH, um, the OSH groups come on excursions. Yeah. So we then have hundreds more kids who are able to access the, um, the outdoor space and loose parts play. Yep. 
And we're starting to look now at working with schools in terms of how they can implement loose parts yeah. play and have that real mind shift in terms of supervision and yeah. how we let kids have true play experiences. That's awesome. Um, and what developmental changes have you seen in children? What's the time frame in, in the changes? Just think so in time. terms of engaging with play, yeah. I reckon it takes – for kids who it's a really unfamiliar environment for yeah. and not having someone tell them what to do, I reckon it takes a good half a day to a day before they can really just relax. And they're the kids who are coming up and saying, what are we doing next? Is there another activity? Can you help me with this? And da, da, da. And we sort of just pretend that we're busy or we say to them, oh, well, you can come and help us clean the toilets or, you know, something, <laughs> you know, make up a job for them. And before you know it, they're back in playing and things. Yep. In terms of some of the kids that we have on our OT caseload throughout school terms who come along, um, it's astounding. The speed that of change as opposed to the like just a pure clinic environment is incredible and it comes back to that intrinsic motivation. So these kids are in a space that um, more often than not they've got an incredible amount of knowledge about and yep. so they, they're able to demonstrate that in a way they can't in a school or a clinic environment um, and they're doing stuff that they love. They're having a ball and so I could work in a clinic setting on tying shoelaces for, I don't know, weeks, months, whatever. Yep. And within a morning, those kids are tying knots because they want that cubby house to stay up in the tree. Yep. Um, yeah, so it really, really quick. And the social benefits are extraordinary. So particularly for our kids on um, the autistic spectrum, yep. the difference in those children in terms of interacting with other children, um, remaining engaged in play for long periods of time is astounding yeah and there's actually evidence of children displaying symptoms of being autistic and being exposed to this type of play actually having reversals in their social um, challenges yeah have you seen this yeah look i think there's some really uh, anecdotally we've seen yeah. some really strong um, indications of great pro-social behaviours in kids. We're looking at partnering with um, ACU next yep. year and their OT department to get some research going in that area to look at that change um, yep. and how and whether there's a follow-through then when kids are at home in their, you know, or in other day-to-day -day yep. environments. Yeah, and um, we're seeing this as a trend around the world as well, so it's obviously working. We're seeing it in America and um, Europe. But um, we haven't had this mentioned it before, but I was actually, I had to go to OT as a child and it was in a clinic and it was like balance on a board. It was like, <laughs> move your body like this. And I was like, why am I even here? I didn't have a clue. No one yeah. told me anything about it. And so there was no motivation to be there at all. I already hated doctors from being in hospital and having negative hospital experiences. And now I'm in a clinic doing this stuff and just being like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. But I can imagine the difference if it was be like, go play for a bit. That's it. You and know? I, I there's, kids have got to know why you're doing things with them, but they've also got to have a say in how you go about doing that. And even in a clinic space, I think that's vital. Um, yep. I think that's good OT. Um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of turbocharged in the outdoor environment. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you've mentioned um, going to work with schools and they're essentially, as we see, um, recently in the news with um, having children start school or doing school programs in the school at three now. 
Um, so we're constantly seeing that push down. What's your thoughts at develop from a developmental standpoint about children starting school at three? I feel that the downward push of the curriculum for children has an incredibly detrimental effect to their development. Um, and I think, you know, there are some children who will cope with that, but they will be used then as the benchmark and that feeling of, oh, well, they can do it, so it must be the right thing to mm. do. Um, if we are, it's increasing that structure at a very young age, those first five years we know in particular, it is essential that kids have the opportunity to play and it should be free play and not adult directed. Um, I think that our vulnerable kids are going to feel the squeeze even more. Um, so if we are pushing them at younger ages, then they get that sense of helplessness, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'm rubbish at a much younger age and when kids start to feel that they either rebel against the school system and just make the lives of their teachers hell for the next however many years or if they don't actually have a very good self-esteem then they will be left with you know they, they look for stuff elsewhere and that's things like consumerism, drugs, alcohol, you know sex, whatever, and I'm not suggesting that's going to be happening in three-year-olds. However, we are creating a situation in younger and younger and younger children where their sense of self is compromised because we're asking them to do things that they're not developmentally ready to do. And I think the onflow of that to mental health difficulties, which is already skyrocketing, is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I cannot don't, I just object don't understand to it, it enough. I don't understand it yeah. either. I want to have someone on that can explain the motivation. And also when you look at the – you were mentioning as vulnerable children, you look where they've proposed those that those programs to run. They're generally quite um, – they've been in a lower socioeconomic area yeah. looking at the – what is it? The Child Development Index, what's that all called? The acronym? Um, ECD? Is it? Anyway, it's the um, every three years the government do oh, an yeah, assessment yeah. Yep. on children. And if you look at those catchment areas, it's very low um, socioeconomic areas that they're doing it. And once again, it ties into that. I think it's tying into that benchmark to say, well, look, we've had a great uptake of this and families are on board with it. But yeah. I just don't understand why. It's not an across the board thing. I th you know, formal academic settings place a lot of stress on children if they're not able to yep. cope. Our curriculum as it stands at the moment is pitched at a higher level than it ever has been. Um, and, you know, it goes back to we've, childhood has changed. And so essentially we've got kids going into the education setting less prepared than they ever have been in terms of their readiness to learn. So attention, focus, sitting, you know, the social skills, all of that is... Yep at a lower level than it ever has been and then we're pitching the curriculum at a higher level. Um, so this incredible mismatch and then we're pushing it down to younger ages. We haven't given our kids a chance to get that developmental foundation that they will need to feel, you know, have feelings of success. Yeah. And if we're looking at supporting our lower so socioeconomic groups who may not be attending kindy yeah, or... at risk. You know, we need days. to support the parents. We need yeah. to look at groups that will help parents understand all of the stuff that we've been talking about, about the importance of play and getting outdoors and good nutrition and sleep and all of that kind of thing, that's going to lead to developmental benefits, not chucking them into a formal yeah. educational setting where they're going to end up feeling yeah. like 
Rubbish. And once again, those categories you mentioned just now about being ready for that environment, you said concentration. So concentration, focus, the ability to sit, attend, social skills, being yep. able to ask someone for help, being able to negotiate, play, yep. all of those type yep. of things. They're the indicators for success at school, not reading, writing, you know, yeah. those types of they're things. The, that's what's going to... That's got what's going to produce your success, not take away from it. That's it. If you've got those skills, you'll learn to read, you'll learn to write, you'll be great at maths. You'll, you know, all of that comes much more naturally yep. if you've got the underlying foundation. And it comes down to what we were just talking about, it being a play thing yep. as well. Why do you think it is that a play is um, discredited as being just play? Because it's fun. It's yep. not serious. So yep. if we could sort of say, I think Peter Gray's, there's a great quote from Peter Gray around, you know, if we could say that play was a um, developmental study on, you know, and use really smart, fancy sounding yeah, words, yeah. then people would start to value it. Um, I think, you know, and the economic value of it is really hard to measure. And yeah. I think everything comes back to economics. And yeah. so... The reality is we're destroying our kids' mental health by removing yep. play or devaluing play. Yeah. We're not getting the academic yep. outcomes that we would hope for. Yep. So that economic output that everybody's yeah, after... It's reduced. It's gone. Well, look at the... I know we've spoken about it previously in podcasts, but the Scandinavian model, and I refer to it because the Scandinavian... And Finnish yep. specifically is Finnish children are still children... <laughs> And our children are still children, so let's look at that data. And the focus on the early years, the byproduct of that is well-being at completion of school, lower alcohol abuse, low sexual, lower sexual assault because they have the um, emotional um, intelligence and articulate emotion and inform. And all of these really positive outcomes that contribute to society are there and the evidence is there, yet we're prioritising um, academics. Where do you think this academic... Because um, my view on the academic priority is it's our new version of keeping your child safe. You know, we have a safe community now. We, ha we don't have to worry about not having food on our table in a lot of instances, shelter over our heads. So the new protection effect is actually okay well if they get good grades they're going to get a good job they're going to make money and then they're going to be fine yeah even when like long after i'm gone so it's this that's my view on it what's yours on the motivation of academics i actually don't know and if you can get the person on the podcast that can explain <laughs> what, why like, is it I, a priority? I don't know because the research is there yeah. and who is developing the curriculum and who is making yeah. the decisions around the three-year-old yeah like it it flies in the face of really, really good, solid research. So I I don't know. I, yeah. I flabbergasted. Yeah. I just, you it's know. It's perplexing. I yeah. saw that and I just had to turn off the I turn off the screen for a yeah. moment and just say, I can't deal with that. Yeah. It's, it's too wrong. much for me. It's wrong. Yeah, I don't know how the ethical where's the ethical responsibility there. And, well, yeah, I don't know and yep. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of us that have got a responsibility because yep. despite policy, there is a lot of people that have to implement that yep. and if we all stand together yeah. for what is actually in the best interests of children, yep. then we can fight that, we can make 100%. that change. Um, I think there's a lot of people who 
you know, get concerned about losing their job or or, or just keep going, you know, and trust the policymakers yep. to be making the so right policy decisions. So policy-driving your habits. Yeah, I just but think when you look at it, there's, there's a lot of people who know that we are not operating in the best interests of our kids and that in, essentially we're harming our kids in terms of development and their long-term outcomes. I feel very strongly that it, it behoves us as people in, who work with children to stand up for them and um, and advocate for yeah. There's also the... Interests. There's also, I've, I've come across it time and time again, while people's um, kind of hiding behind that policy as well. Well, you know, we can't do it. It's not up to us. We've got to follow policy. When actually you break it down, there is quite a bit of width yep. in there to work. Yep. And you find so good leaders who can look at policy and look at that breadth of, yep. you know, scope and make some really good decisions. Like there are people who are doing amazing things yeah. within the education system, within a whole range, you know, yeah. childcare, OSH, whatever. 100%. But you're right, I think people can get very constrained by, oh, well, this is the policy, this is what I have to do. Yeah. Um, and I think really good leaders, really good educators can look at that and unpack it and work with the policy but also with what they know to be true for kids around child development and play and all of those issues yep. and still make it a, um, a, pos- a childhood, a positive place. I think it often comes at the detriment of those educators yeah. though, the amount of effort and energy yeah. and the advocacy that they have to yeah. and then you know, use. The workload to get everyone else on board and the resilience yep. they have to show. Yep. Um, going into schools, something that comes to mind is that this starting school earlier, is this a reflex to try to keep up with the progressive nature of and rise of more people heading towards the private school sector or independent school sector? Do you think they're trying to keep keep up and just throwing stuff at it or what? Because we are seeing an increase in standard. Yep. I think to some degree people feel that if you know, it's like everything, whether it's taekwondo or education or um, ballet, if we're providing these opportunities for our kids, then we are giving them just that, you know, opportunities that will help them in their later life. But it's taking away from that acknowledgement of what that actually, you know, what is actually really good for our kids and it's time and space and play and... Um, and, you know, that often the opportunities that we're hoping to provide for our children are in essence, when you look at the whole package and the day-to-day lives and the enormity of what we're asking of our kids is in actual fact to their yeah. detriment. You know, the it's doing, not doing, getting doing. those opportunities that we're wanting from yep. private schools and this and that. And yep. Yeah, it's and like, you know, Chinese at the age of three. And I know that for some children being exposed to language or for children language is a great thing at a young age if they're immersed in it but if we're throwing in a Chinese lesson into a kindy program at the age of three then we're just adding another structured activity out of context that doesn't have a lot of meaning what's your main like say top five for parents or educators for the priority of what we should providing be providing for children Hmm. I think I've said it already time 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 Space, outdoor space, um, connection, whether it's be with other children or between yourself and your kids. 
not extracurricular activities, so yep. anything but that. Yep. Um, particularly for really young kids. That's four, isn't it? I can't remember yeah. number five, Lucas. That's all right. It's <laughs> essentially, we can rip it back and just go top three. Yeah, well. Time, social and... And what was it? What was it? <laughs> we'll edit that bit. Outside. Outside. Um, and move. We've yeah. got to keep our kids moving. We have to have them... Like the sedentary nature of childhood is having an enormous impact. Yeah. Keep and, them moving. And imagine if you were to look at... Um, do the study on the outcome of like just a slight amount of physical activity compared to um, screen time. Imagine, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. imagine the monetary price you could put on that Yep. for into the future. Yeah. We need to collect that data and then get everyone motivated get really quickly. On kids. <laughs> it fits in with everything, whether we're looking at healthy development, educational outcomes, you know, obesity, diabetes, yep. like it comes back to movement and yep. anything that's particularly convenient in our society is going to not be beneficial for a child. Yeah. So if it's an iPad and it's convenient for us, it's not great for the kids. Yeah. If Hardship's it's, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. If they have to ride 5Ks or walk yeah. a few Ks to school, that's good for them yeah. as opposed to sitting in the car and it's quick and or it's screens. easy. Yeah. So what's your uh, big overview on screens? I've been to, you know, there's so much mixed data out there. There's people that are like completely anti-screen. There's the controlled use type of screen. There's the iPad in prep type of schools. There's the iPad in grade three type of schools. And also I've even heard that um, screen, I've heard, <laughs> I've actually heard this come out, um, that screen time develops fine motor skills because they're swiping on the screen. <laughs> that just makes me want to cry. I knew it would. I hear <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said it. I hear that quite a little bit. Oh, no, their fine motor skills are really good. I saw them use an app, but it's just like you just <laughs> want to beat your head on a wall. So what's your definition for there's, families out there, uh, fine motor skills? Fine motor skills, you actually have to be – so there's – Two parts, well, there's a lot of parts to it, but there's strength and there's precision. So if you are using your whole hand, that's developing strength. So that's like opening a jar of jam, yep. opening a doorknob. Precision Climbing. is things like pencil grips, yep. um, you know, so holding your pencil, tying shoelaces, all of those kind of things, tying a knot for the treehouse. Um, so you want to be developing all of that. If you're swiping, you're using one finger um, yep. and it's Oh, but you pinch to zoom in. Well, there is that one. There's a cockroach <laughs> game where you have to like use a pinch. It is not. It yeah. doesn't have the strength. It doesn't have the. It doesn't have the real life component unless we are actually doing things. And this is everything in relation to screens. Unless we're doing the real life activity, then we don't actually have the full sensory experience of it. Yeah. And without that, we can't develop the motor side of things. Yeah, and that brings us um, into the senses, mm. um, sensory development and going through sensory fusion being such an integral part of well-being and development. So what's your overview on importance and definition of senses for families out there to them understand why yep. it's so important? So there's a lot of talk around sensory processing, self-regulation, yep. all of that type of stuff. It is about, it's the ability to use the information that we get from our environment and our bodies to make sense of our world. And when we can do that, then we can form a response, whether it be a verbal response or a movement response or whatever. And so when we talk about our senses, um, you know, there's the five senses that we all know about. And that's yep. the information that we get from our outside world, from vision, hearing, taste, touch yep. and smell. That's right, forget smell. <laughs> 
Um, but there's also our internal sensors. And so they're, they've got big fancy names, proprioceptive and vestibular, but yep. they essentially mean that awareness of our body and where it is in space um, and how, you know, where my arm is in relation to the table or my other parts of my body um, and also balance. Um, and that's keeping us upright in relation to gravity, being able to still make sense of visual information even when our head's tipped upside down. So they're our internal sensors. So those, when you talk about balance and body awareness, they're essential for anything else. So they come up to me, they are the absolute core of sensory processing because if those sensors aren't right, then our attention is drawn away from everything else. It's drawn away from the outside world. If I don't have a real good sense of where I am if my body is actually safe, um, you know, if I'm up too high, too low, all of that sort of thing, I can't concentrate on anything else. And that means things that I'm looking at in a classroom or if I'm driving it down the road or wherever it may be, I can't take in and make sense of everything around me if I don't have that real sense of internal security and safety. So our attention is continually drawn back to that. Um, And for our kids who aren't moving, they haven't got well-developed senses of balance and um, a sense of body awareness. So that limits the concentration. It's everything. Therefore, all of a sudden, they've got a learning difficulty. That's it. There's no way we can ask a kid to attend to what's being said to them, like listen to it, then follow multi-step instructions if they're feeling like they're not actually sure, you know, they can't sit up right on the carpet or they're rolling over and banging into the person next to them or they go to grab their pencil and they're knock over the whole lot of you know the whole container of stuff because they just don't have that internal ability to process their body um, let alone anything that's going on and that's what we're continually asking kids to do is pay attention look at the outside world follow these instructions Um, yet a lot of them are still you know just trying to develop all of those internal senses go back to turning it on they, mm-hmm. Yep, it is. Um, and so without that, we we lose our kids. And that's, and you're yep. right, they get labelled with all sorts of things because then what they do, kids are really clever, they come up with like their own strategies to get the information that they need. So for a lot of kids that's wiggling around and jiggling, we tell them to stop it and sit still. Yep. Um, some kids start chewing on their collar, you know, a whole yep. range of things that actually give this, their body the information that it needs Um but we shut it down as adults. What we need to be doing is looking for opportunities throughout their day, whether it's at home or at school or wherever they are, to have them developing those skills. And the way that they do that is through moving and moving in lots of different ways, swinging upside down, dangling from places, all of that. Yeah, the old uh, single rope swing. Um, So from there, what is your um, thoughts on how how this uptake has been happening? Because you've been... you're doing the jump up program for years now. Um, are you seeing it start to hit that critical mass where more people are uptaking? We know we had the pop-up playground for loose parts at the childhood summit, which was awesome. A lot of people interested in the loose parts trailer as well, which yep. is nature player taking out to those rural communities, which is amazing. But um, what have been the challenges in implementing this into your school environment? I um I, I do think we are we we're seeing the tides swinging. You know, there's That's a awesome. lot of interest in play, um, and how we can optimize the time that we've got with kids. So, and I think from our perspective at Jump Up, when we were looking at magnifying the influence, we looked at schools as being a primary 
target. They've got kids for a lot of time and for a lot of days. Um, And so we started talking to schools around play um, and we've worked with them to develop a program. And so it's Play Big Ideas for Big Lunch, which looks at implementing loose parts. Um, If they've got natural spaces, that's fantastic. But this is a program that can be implemented anywhere um, and it is around that unstructured child-led play with things that don't tell them what to do. So a milk crate, a cardboard box, a pile of ropes, whatever, that they can do whatever they want with. Yep. So we've had a lot of interest from schools in terms of it's inclusive. It allows all their kids to access it. Um, it will help with readiness to learn behaviours. We've done some pre and post studies on our pilot schools and looking at the engagement of students with typical lunchtime play activities as opposed to loose parts and there's a real improvement. So there's this real interest in it. I think some of the biggest barriers in schools come around risk management um, and also supervision. And so what we – and that's why we've worked to develop this whole comprehensive program where we do whole staff PD um, sessions so that everybody knows – that you know we're all on the same page and working towards the same goals and why this is so important um, as well as sort of providing follow-up um, follow-up support in terms of implementation of that what we have found with the schools that we're working with currently um, and in the past is that the supervision requirements actually decrease with loose parts play and that the Self-managed. incidents <laughs> yep incidents of behavior difficulties reduce because the kids are um, engaged in something that they, you know, they're really interested in. Um, In terms of risk assessment and risk management, we do a lot of work in that area as part of working with schools to implement this. This is clearly something that we're all concerned about. I don't think there's anybody that I've ever met that wants a child to be harmed. That's not what we're about. We're not about putting them in situations that they can't cope. But it is around looking at providing children the opportunity to figure things out for themselves. And yes, there are adults there as needed, if needed. And a really important part of our adult role is removing harm from situations, but it's not removing risk because by removing risk, we're removing challenge. Um, And that I find is one of the biggest barriers in Uh, schools. Limits limits the value to the child, limits the accomplishment and limits the those beautiful reward agent chemicals in the body that are so essential. And And then we're like, no, we'll take that away. Yep, it's gone, (laughs) done, and you've got an oval. So some of the schools that I work at literally have grass and it's all dead grass at the moment because of the droughts. Yeah, 100%. And these kids are running around. They've got behaviour issues through the roof. Um, They run. They literally run in circles circles, like caged animals. Um, And by providing in the schools that we've, implemented the big ideas for big lunch program just amazing feel good stories and we're we're looking at doing research next year but for now it's this anecdotal story of kids that weren't able to engage with other kids in the playground um children with esl backgrounds who had never like they just didn't know what to do in a regular uh english as a second language sorry um you know, didn't know how to engage in, say, AFL or yep. soccer or and all of a sudden they're creating these amazing things that, that everybody's involved with. Yep. So, you know, it's got something 
for everybody. Yeah. Um, I think if we can work around supervision, I think is a non-issue. I actually think yep. it becomes Perception. yep, um, it's easier for the staff on duty and risk management. I think we all need to start taking a real look at what we mean when we say that and how. If we're managing risk, how we are doing it in a way that supports healthy child development and opportunity rather than limiting it. Um, and I think that's what we've really tried hard to incorporate in our program, um, you know, supporting the schools. Yep. We've also tried to take a lot of the work out of it for them. So we know that they've got to contact parents, they've got to get all their loose parts, they've yep. got to maintain them. So we've got um, online and hard copy manuals of all the templates yep. that they'll need for, for their big lunch. Yeah, yeah. Big ideas for big lunch. Yep. Um, so what's included in that package and so we are any listeners out there that want to activate this or even if you're on a PNF or a family group that want to activate this and you want to support your children, where can they go for some more information? So we've got all, all the information on our Jump Up Outdoors website, so jumpupoutdoors.com.au and that gives you lots of information about it. The package includes um, a professional development session and we do encourage schools to do that as a whole um, whole faculty Yep. thing because everybody's doing lunchtime Need duty everybody's got to understand the importance of this and what we're all about um so we've got our pd session we've got our manual which includes all of that background information as well as all of the templates so letters to parents explaining what we're doing letters to businesses asking for loose parts maintenance checklists risk man uh, risk assessment matrixes a whole range of stuff just to make it easy we know that schools are busy places we've also got all of that online so that schools can upload their yep. logo have it all they can contextualize letters if they need to yep. and then we provide monthly support for four months after that um, and that's really a project management model well, looking at this is today for yep. them yep so we work together with the school and we look at what's the date that we're launching this loose parts program and we work back from there in terms of getting the parts together, looking for hazards, you know, talking to people, getting everybody on board, yeah. parent information sessions. Yeah. We're really trying to make it as easy as possible and so that everybody is all on the same page. Um, what we've found is if you plonk a pile of loose parts slash crap into a playground, everybody gets the pips with it really, really quickly. 100%. Nobody knows what's going on. And so this is really trying to get that understanding um, and, you know, everybody on the same page. And that doesn't mean the kids because, as I said earlier, the kids know exactly what to do. Yeah, you don't need um, to teach them. We need our adults to Yeah, and I think it's board. also important to highlight to those families, teachers, educators out there that it's not a matter of having to go and do a whole lot more. It's yep. actually being giving them the resources so you can do less. Yep. Managing and supporting the behavioural outcomes and challenges and letting the child feel fulfilled because then there'll be less behavioural management for you in the classroom. They'll be more likely and inspired to learn. They'll be stimulated. They'll be responsive. Therefore, the outcome for you to do that is actually so, so much less. The 80-20 rule applies, I think. For 20% oh, sure. of the application yep. for these loose parts, you're going to benefit 80% of your time with yep. the children. So get this happening it's the the benefits it's really powerful stuff it's really simple stuff for the the benefits that you get and i think the other thing that's really important for schools to know is this is a really cheap alternative so i've been at schools where they've spent up to four hundred thousand dollars on playgrounds um that the, the kids don't play on um you know this essentially you can get your loose parts if you're savvy you can pretty much 100%. get it for free yeah um or very very cheaply um yeah. far less than a 
a built playground that offers only one type of play and that's yeah, the play you know, gross coming motor. back. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. that's what we've got the um, play ship and then we've got the Imaginasium, the big container that goes out to schools. But we really hope that that doesn't need to be a thing. You know, we've, we've put it out there as this model yep. so you can see it work in action, see how without the commitment so you can actually see in action, look how beneficial this is let's go and then inspire you. So I hopefully in the future, we don't need any of that. Everyone's doing it for themselves. That's it. And I think, you know, we've talked about this, you know, if people get it, like they've experienced it, they understand it. And I do think the understanding is key. But I would, in five, ten years, if you and I don't need to be talking loose parts anymore because it's embedded in schools, childcare centres, OSH, everyone's got some in their backyards, then that's an amazing outcome. Yeah, amazing socially yeah. and environmentally and the community benefits the as well. The benefits are We're creating those fulfilled yeah. adults and that's what we're about. Yep, because well, they'll be looking after us when we're yeah, <laughs> 80. Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> Cross your fingers. Well, Madeline, I've got to say a huge thank you for all you do. I'm so excited about to see Big Ideas for Big Lunch. I think it's going to be a great success. Um, if people want to find out specifically more information about that, where can they go? So our website, jumpupoutdoors.com.au. We, our therapy website is jumpupforkids.com.au um, are the best places to go. They've got all our contact details and you can find us on Facebook and as And there's well. some resources there as well? There is. You can download some snippets of um, the Big Ideas for Big Lunch manual um, and lots of information for parents and educators around loose parts. Awesome. Thank you so much, Madeline. Um, I've just got to say a huge, huge thank you for all you do and for me um, reflecting on my childhood I wish I had these experiences at lunchtime and I know I hope this for my children as well so uh, so grateful for you being a part of that movement and being the driving force behind it here so I appreciate you thanks Lucas thank you so much for listening to play it forward today that was the amazing Madeline Avja Um, if you like this podcast you enjoyed it share it with your friends share it with your family subscribe and like Um, Head over to worthy.co for more information and some resources to activate your play journey and outdooreducated.com on social media. Thanks so much for joining me.